Well, we've done one managerial, one tragic managerial resignation. Yep. Three sackings, I would say that I was different levels of absolutely delighted about. But two of the three, like on a different plane of existence, buzzing about. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and, and now one really sad but necessary sacking show, right? That's yeah, that's right. Is, well, uh, after Mourinho got sacked uh, and before the, um, the powers that be called us out on it, we used to play music. <laughs> And uh, at the end of the show, we played Farrell's Happy, and it's still the most downloaded <laughs> show ever in the history, 521 episodes of this show. <laughs> and uh, I can say that most people were happy, except the weirdos yeah. who still were like, oh, we told you so. Anyway, um, mixed feelings about this one, because yeah, quite clearly he needed to go. He needed to go after the Liverpool result. He needed to go in the summer, maybe even before that. Honestly, but um, the mixed feelings come because I think it's fair for us to recognize the achievements he's made in the three years. And they are significant, even if by the great standards of Manchester United, he, he hasn't quite lived up to what we all wanted, which was trophies and a return to European and Premier League glory and all of that. Well, I, I think it would have been pretty insane to sack him in the summer um, after finishing second in the league. I think that would have been... Uh quite a bold move it's fair to say I mean it definitely after the way this season has started it's pretty clear that one of two things was going to happen after the summer he was going to kick on or last season was going to be the best it got and I, I think we both dreamed that he would kick on the squad was there potentially you know some good some good signings to to make that possible but um actually what's happened in in having those good signings is 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 his personal weaknesses have, I think, become more and more and more glaring. But he, he doesn't only have personal weaknesses, he also has personal strengths, which I think he's brought to bear on the job in a really significant way. And we'll talk, I'm sure, at some length about the exit interview that he did when he said, I hope I've laid a good platform for the next person. Yeah. And I think he's laid a good platform for the next person, not in terms of the squad rebuild, although I think a decent job has been done of that during his tenure in terms of who's left and who's come in um but the culture of the club has definitely changed in the last couple of years and it is healthier and better than it was it's just it, at some point you do need the tactics with the vibes well that's right yeah good vibes fc wasn't wasn't good enough for for united and look you you said something about two things potentially happening was he going to kick on or or was he was it all going to go wrong sort of thing and i think right the well, very early in Ollie's tenure, we we kind of had this uh, supposition, that, which was, well, maybe he's he's the he's the one before the glory comes back. He's the one that can lay the platform for whoever comes next. I think it's fair to point out all the mistakes of those above him as well. Appointing uh, him after twelve games felt like, um, and I, I know you you have a slightly different take on this, but felt like a PR move and th this sort of story of story of back to United's DNA there's some something in it but it, it also feels like as it, and I know I'm being deep, deeply cynical but as everything with this club um not this club this club it, it is all about the PR and the clicks and the, the outbound vibe and not at all about the structure and uh, you know that you need to lay the foundations for success they gave only a lot of rope and in the end he hung himself but I, I think it's that they giving him that rope who who failed Ollie more than he's failed the club. In the end, he, he wasn't up to it. You're right. He didn't have the, the ability when things went wrong to turn it around. You know, his one option always was to go back to uh, a more defensive approach and then playing on the break, but that doesn't work. Um, with this particular, you know, the way with a certain individual up front and no, that no longer works. And he had no other ideas and. He couldn't, for, although he had, he has Mike Feeling in his coaching staff, he couldn't fall back on anyone else really. And, you know, as with Mourinho and Van Gaal and Moyes, he's kind of been hung out there on his own, hasn't he? He's been, the club were happy when it, when it suited them to go, yeah, your fault. Um, cause no one else is taking blame here. Richard Arnold's not taking blame. Ed Woodward didn't do a, you know, sorry, tearful interview. Joel Glazer hasn't said anything. There's a statement on the club website and an exit interview. Uh, so he's just been pushed out there and said, you're the failure, not us lads. So I feel sorry for him in that, in that regards. I mean, I, yeah, 
I don't know. I, I think, I think it's not true that he's been let down by the board in the same way that previous managers at this, at this club have. So I think out of all the managers at United so far, Moyes and, Moyes and um, what's his name, Louis, they were spectacularly let down by the board. I mean, the Moyes, that first Moyes summer is, you know, famously a tragic joke. It's tragic comic. It's so ridiculous. The, and then Van Hal constantly, I mean, as he has uh, not been shy about saying since, would give a list with his top five targets and get target number five every time, you know, right. um, from the board. Now, Mourinho, you know, had some very big name players signed and a lot of money spent. And um, uh, Solskjaer had a lot of money spent, some very big name players signed and... Um, mostly in the positions that were needed to be strengthened and there was some structure put in and around him. Now, whether that's a good structure or not, I have no way of saying, but there is a structure that where there once was not a structure at all. There is more of a kind of formal structure around Solskjaer. And and as for the exit interview, I mean, I would bet, I shared the the West Wing thing about the coup d'etat. But I would bet every... Every dollar in my pocket against every dollar in your pocket that Solskjaer wanted to do that interview. That that's that's a Solskjaer decision, not a club. They haven't said, Ollie, could you please talk to the fans? He said, Look, I'll go quietly. Just give me a chance to say goodbye. Yeah, maybe. I know it's a cynical take, uh, and um, I think you said uh, in our WhatsApp chat that uh, of all the cynical takes you've made up, Ed, that's right up there. And I'm not making yeah. it. I'm not making it up. That's my only challenge. And I, I know it's a silly, cynical take, not silly take, cynical one. MUTV. There are some talented people that work for for that team, of course. But uh, it's a marketing organization, not a news organization. And so, um, of course, yeah, yeah. So I always see it through that lens, and it feels like a continuation of the narrative around Soul Show, which is about this uh, this you know local hero coming home. Not local, but you know what I mean. And in reality, that suited Ed Woodward just fine. He's not done that interview. Ed Woodward is not on MUTV saying, look, this is why we had to make the change. Neither is Richard Arnold. Neither is Joel Glazer. Joel Glazer made the final call. Woodward's on his way out. You know, Arnold is the commercial puppet. Murtagh, apparently director of football. Where the fuck is he, he in all of this? Nowhere is the answer. Yeah. Nowhere. Yeah. Director of football in name only. Darren Fletcher, technical director slash part-time coach i mean there's structure but it's a mess i mean i think we'll 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 get on to talk about some of the potential candidates to come in one of them ten Hag, has been mentioned widely is ajax side are doing amazingly well both in europe and domestically he has van der Zaar and Overmars, as city have soriano and bagiristan um as all the top top clubs have general manager and football director and coach you know it's there is a reason why every elite club in Europe has pretty much the same structure, you know, with variances, of course. And United do not. They have puppets in so many of these positions. Look at the list of names on the United board. Not a single one of them has any time in football. I mean, you can count Arnold and Woodward, I suppose, if you want to count that as time in football. But it's incredibly difficult. And I guess we're coming back to our conversation of last week, talking about what are the relative merits of that structure versus the coach. And and in this case, Solskjaer clearly wasn't good enough. Clearly. Yeah. As much as we love him, clearly. But he's been failed by everyone around him and, and the next man will be too. Um, the, the, I just want to come back to one thing about the, the exit interview that makes me kind of feel the way I felt about it, which is just that he starts by saying, mm-hmm. basically lots of people are going to want to do interviews with me. I don't want to do interviews with any of them. I just want to do this and then be done. I think this is like, I, it is obviously um, there are many talented people uh, who we just you know uh, just impartially no bias whatsoever. Just there's loads of talented people like like who maybe did that interview for example. It is a, a marketing organisation, but I think that Solskjaer using it for for his story as much as anything else. But I think it's a story he's telling from the heart, which is the the thing the actual cynical take about the interview. Was it, that wasn't quite the, the thing that I said was your most cynical take ever. <laughs> do you want to, do you want to share thing, with listeners what my no, most cynical well, just, take was? Just, <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let you choose to do that or otherwise. My, my thing is I just thought he came across 
and in a way that I haven't always found about Solskjaer. Like I definitely have more personally ambivalent feelings about Solskjaer, the human being, than I did when he took the job and having learned a bit more about him and been kind of a bit more exposed to him over a long period of time. But I found him to be extraordinarily human, extraordinarily genuine, extraordinarily heartfelt in, in that. And just like at whatever else you say about Solskjaer and the technical limitations and tactical limitations are, for me, the mass, by far the biggest knock against him the most obvious knock against him. Um, but having a manager who absolutely loved being Man United manager, who absolutely loves Man United, like it'd been a long time since we had one of those and that felt, sure. it felt really good, didn't it? And and I, I don't disagree with any of that, by the way. I mean, you know, it was heartfelt. It was genuine. And I think he is genuine. And um, but so would if you plucked Pete Boyle from the Stretford end and stuck him in the manager's job and then asked him to do an exit interview, there may be a tear or two and it would be genuine. So that was my cynical take that honestly, he sounded a bit like that. Um, but maybe that's just me, the deep cynic that I am. <laughs> it might be. Um, the, uh, so Solskjaer's tenure in, in totality uh, is a really interesting thing and I think will be judged slightly in retrospect. Um, it, it, if the structure is as puppety as you say, then likely that's going to be a huge problem for whoever comes in next. And I think it might well be. And I think we've seen that the one thing that this, um, this board are particularly bad at is managerial appointments, right? That's, that's something that they've got, they got spectacularly wrong a couple of times and pretty wrong on other occasions. I I don't did, think did um, did they just just an aside yeah parentheses close parentheses which one did they get right? Uh, no, I'm not saying they got any right, but I think Moyes like I, I do think it, a huge amount is has to be made of the choices of manager, and that's almost the worst the worst excesses of the mistakes of the structure have been in the choices of yes. manager that the structures then let down. I mean, we could talk about why each one was a bad decision. I, I think Van Hal was probably um, not a terrible decision, but it was such a wild swing from where we were before. And all of that was then a completely abandoned, not just abandoned, but literally someone who invented their entire football identity to be the opposite of Louis Van Hal. Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> yes. Yes. That's, yeah. that's probably, probably quite a big yeah. swing. And then the, 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 I'm not saying you shouldn't have swung away from Rio because you should, but, um, and I, I would say the Solskjaer appointment was also, um, not a terrible appointment, even, even though it was early and they didn't need to do, they, they should have stuck till the end of the season to see how things played out. I think that's abundantly clear. And I, I was very swept up in the joy of it all at the time, but even swept up in the joy of it all, there was no need to give him the job before the Arsenal game or wherever it was. Right. Um, and, um, but I do think bringing in someone like Solskjaer was broadly speaking the right move uh, to, to bring someone in, you know, Gary Neville, who we are very cynical about on this show with plenty of good reason quite often said on his Instagram post, you gave the club some of its soul back. And I do think, that's true, and that was a necessary process. Yes, Gary Neville also, by the way, um, although he's been called out for months for, for not uh, calling for Solskjaer's head, uh, did say, and I, I thought this was an interesting insight, that um, that he thought the Europa final defeat uh, would have had a, a really big in, impact on the club, and that was probably where it went wrong for Solskjaer. And he may well be right in that um, analysis. Uh, I think, and uh, it was interesting him making a sort of mental dance around, um, not wanting to to criticise his friend in public while doing the analysis that leads you yeah. to that conclusion, you know. And that that may well have been the beginning of the end in terms of the squad and the vibe, you know, because it's it's amazing how quickly it's disintegrated. You know, five defeats in seven or whatever it was, but it actually wasn't a bad start to the season, was it? Um, but it, it went south very quickly once the results weren't coming. And, and that's been Solskjaer's, he's, he's, he's had tests in his time, for sure. I'm sure we've questioned his suitability for the job on multiple occasions over these last three years, as has everyone else, of course. I never started from a place with Solskjaer that, well, he didn't have the record, therefore he can't, he can't possibly be good enough. Therefore, 
we're going to take the most negative possible view of every decision and every result mm. and every turn and maneuver, um, and which is what most of the media, quote unquote, have done. Most professional football journalists have taken that kind of, well, you don't have the credentials, so let's look at everything you get wrong and highlight that only, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I don't, I generally don't talk about the media on this show much because I, I think it's very easy to kind of put these red tinted spectacles on and think, ah, oh, they're all against us. Um, yep, but there were which some. Which they are not. Which they are not. No, most, most people in that profession just trying to do a job. But I do think that the inbuilt bias was, well, this guy, this guy doesn't have the record. He's, he was managing a club, which is basically the equivalent of a League One club and was then given Manchester United, which yeah. is true. And basically. And yeah. And, and I think a number of things happened. I think one, they always had a point, those people. There was always a point to what they were saying, which was not invalid. Two, they went early and the apologies are very short in coming. Like there weren't a lot of apologies when it was going well, were there? Um, and None. Uh, so, yeah, because there's, there's a lot of ego involved in, in these things, right? Once you put yourself out there, I would say, to be fair, that is something that... Um, I am very proud of being completely comfortable with saying, oh, no, I was completely wrong about that. Turns out I don't know anything. And John O'Shea isn't one of the top five. Mid no, Johnny Evans isn't one of the top five centre-backs. Neither, neither John O'Shea. <laughs> no, you know, he, no. he, he did a turn now and again. Yeah, he did, yeah. Um, so uh, there's there's that. And there was a third point I was going to make, uh, but I can't remember what it was. But th those two in particular, that they did have something of a point um, some of the time. And, and the kind of cultural reboot stuff only really applies when you're in it, right? It's only the people that, it's very interesting to see the reaction. I do think this is, this is a, there's a number of divides in the way that people have responded to Solskjaer. There is definitely a generational divide where there are a generation of United fans who are unbelievably frustrated to be lumbered with this guy who, who in their eyes can't do the stuff that the United manager would need to be able to do. Oh yeah, and sure. Like like climate change and the housing market, they've been lumbered by a bunch of boomers with a manager who um, can't do the job because all these old men love him. Um, yes, I think and... my other deeply cynical take on, on that was I think I called that, that gen, um, and I'm very sorry, guys. This was a joke, sort of. You know, FM warriors and virgins, basically. But <laughs> or Andy, uh, the way Andy Mitten would put it, the difference between the crowd at Old Trafford and the, the crowd on Twitter. Uh, which is a crude yeah, way of segmenting is, the fan base, it's isn't nonsense. it? <laughs> like, yeah, it's, it's a crude and nonsense way of segmenting the fan base because there's people rowing in the Stretford end during the City game. Like, it's not, this isn't a divide that it's so neat for people, old men like Andy Mitten and us, to be like, <laughs> oh, yes, it's these young people on I Twitter. Think, I think Andy's younger than us. <laughs> <Sorry. laughs> uh, uh, is he? I'm, I'm not say sure. Not by much, yes. He can't be me. No, no, we are about the same much. generation. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I know he was the young tyke, but he was the young tyke when we were coming through. It's far too easy. And frankly, oh, it's great not doing the show anymore after four weeks. So I don't have to think about what I say before I say it. Um, there is a smug, self-satisfied quality. D-Bob happy. He's going to lay into <laughs> yeah, everyone. Exactly. But, you know, the, his last show, December the 12th, will be... Uh, <laughs> He's gonna he's gonna be telling some hard truths to everyone. <laughs> but just um like there is a smug, self-satisfied quality to the people who want to set themselves up as proper fans in um opposition to other types of fans other than the type of fan that they are. Which <laughs> yeah. by the way happens on both sides because yep. like yep. young cool football hipsters um on the internet love to talk about top reds being idiots, as if like being a huge passionate supporter of the club who goes and sings your heart out every week isn't contributing something to the experience that you, the supporter on the other side of that, is getting value out of. So, you yes, know, yes. And I, I think we've always successfully straddled that fence. Uh, you yeah, know, I, yeah. I, I look, because um, different points during our fandom, we've, we've been going regularly or, or not. I now live in a different country, so clearly I'm not going to be in Old Trafford every week. And for yeah. life and work reasons, I went to fewer and fewer games um, over the years. And but I did. I got my. I, I earned the badge. I've got my red wheels. Oh yeah, man. Um, yeah. So um, well, either I can straddle that fence or I can play both sides of it. And I would absolutely <laughs> never claim to be a top red. <laughs>
No, but you would be labelled a top red by like an angry millennial who didn't like the fact that you liked Oli Solskjaer once, you know. Um, so yeah, all of that's obviously nonsense. But there, it's one of the ways in which the the reaction to Solskjaer's departure has divided people because there's a huge outpouring of glee from a section of people and, and lots of people would be quick to write them off as not proper United fans, but those people absolutely love Man United. So they're just, it's just a different thing. Um, and then of course, an absolute outpouring of the kind of heartbreak. Now, what I haven't seen very many people is the people who are heartbroken saying, no, he really should still keep the job because he's really good at it. So I don't think anyone, I mean, I'm sure there are some people, because you find some people who believe anything, but that that has got to be a very small subsection of people, right? The uh, poster child for that is Tim Long, normally, who I don't know, and I have nothing, I don't know him, but he's he's always, he, well, he was posting these very long threads in support social. So I haven't seen his take on it yet. That that might be right. the barometer there. I mean, it, it, they'll just blame Pogba, right? Like every people who like a manager that outlasts Pogba. It doesn't outlast Pogba. Anyway. Well, he hasn't outlasted Pogba, or maybe not. I mean, I don't know whether Pogba will play for the club again. Um, oh, gosh, if rumours yeah, are true that uh, they're trying to find a sale for him um, in January. Anyway, we're not talking about that yet. So, no. um, what, what's your, you know, what's your, we haven't even talked about yesterday's game. I guess it's kind of pointless. Now. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a pointless endeavour in every oh, possible. Man. That is, I mean, like we have talked a number of times on this show and and I, I will lobby for the, the phrase post Ferguson United to stop being used oh, precisely like we have got one more year where you can use that and then it's been 10 years and you have to stop. But like we'll, we'll retire this yet. Yeah, exactly. In the post Ferguson era, there have been some spectacularly awful performances where we've gone. That's definitely the worst one. Definitely. Um, this, I mean, this has got to be right up the personal defensive failures in this game. Harry Maguire's performance in this game is as bad as I've ever seen a professional football player. Solskjaer said afterwards that uh, United had done well in the second half. Uh, this sounded very chemical alley, to be honest. You know, they've done well in the second half until the red card. I thought United were better after the red card, honestly. Um, a little more focus. Harry Maguire, I don't know what is wrong with him. If it's injury, if it's mental, if there's something going on with his case in Greece or the lack of focus, whether it's the, the impact of England failing in that final. I don't know what it is. Um, and, and that's hit a lot of England players, hasn't it? Um, yeah. By the way. But I don't know what it is, but he is having a tragicomic season. And this was like the, the zenith of it. It was I mean, a truly awful personal performance. But he wasn't alone. His non-defend... No, he wasn't alone. But I'm not stopping talking about it just yet. Because my Fair God. <laughs> um, so the second, the second goal where he is so far away from his man for no no good reason. Again, the same thing we talked yes. about the other day of getting dragged in to block the cross when there's loads of people in that area and just ignoring the man. And it's a lot of bodies moving fast and it's not, it's not easy, right? But that's your job. Yes, but you take a video analyst five minutes to pull that out and go, what the F are you doing? I mean, yeah. Jesus. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was truly awful and a little off. Yeah, <laughs> for the third one. Um, I mean, by the way, back Bakari Sar, after he scored that second one, he'd missed two really good chances before that, and they had two penalties saved. Uh, so yeah. you know, at David the point, safe. I know couldn't couldn't have done that in Gdansk, could you, Dave? Could, just you know, got a hand to one of them, one of the eleven that you let pass to you that night. He's not like conceded a penalty since, right? He just saves every penalty now. He's just used used up all his penalty non-saves. Um, I think it might be the first goal that Lindelof gets just does exactly the same thing that Maguire does on the second where he goes just to complete, like, I, I think I sent a little clip of it. Like, where did he, what did he think was happening? Where did he think he was going? Um, Cause he just leaves his man and then it's the cutback and the goal. Yes. But, but Maguire's terrible defending for the goal wasn't even close to being the worst thing Maguire did. That second booking is I mean, that is a man who's forgotten how to use his legs. Uh, I mean, and he argued with it as well. I mean, it could, it could have been ready. It was a scissor tackle. I mean, it's dangerous. 
and already being on a booking. I just, yeah, incredible stuff. He argued for a very short time and then took the captain's armband off. Hopefully never to put it on again. I know he, he, he was respectful with it, which will uh, keep him in the job, as in he didn't chuck it on the ground. <laughs> I thought he was going to, though. He got it. He had it in his hand. <laughs> it was a nicely worked goal. Donny van der Beek scoring the last goal of the Ole Gunnar Solskjaer era because Alanis Morissette needs a new verse for the 2021 reboot of And, and let's Ironic. think about that goal, though. I mean, Sancho, a lovely ball to start with. From Sancho. the right. Yeah. And then, yeah, brilliant cross. Uh, which isn't normally where he gets his assists from, but he was looked comfortable, didn't he, in that position? As did Donny van der Beek, played some lovely passes through the lines. Uh, and then Ronaldo, for once in his life, not literally true, but, you know, let's just stretch the stretch this a bit, not shooting himself and setting up someone else. Do we think he meant that? Yeah, you think he just got the header wrong? <laughs> yeah, I mean, which do you think is more likely that he wasn't going for goal or that he got the header wrong? Actually, to be fair, they're both they're both pretty unlikely because he loves to go for goal, but he is very very good at headers. So that's true. Know. But that was as good as it got for United, and yeah, uh, it, they were already two 0 down and um, could have been like four or five by half time. And and this is. Uh, for for different reasons, the City game, so United meek, desperately, desperately meek. The Liverpool game, just completely and outdone tactically. But this one, I, yeah, that might have been the worst of the lot, that first half. Just how oh, yeah. unbelievably bad. Unbelievably it's bad. It's Watford. They absolutely destroyed us. And, and the... The thing about that that was... This is why it goes from... I mean, you know, it, it, you could talk about the club letting Ollie down but let's just say like the club being badly run for him to be sacked after the first game after an international break when you could like what did they what was the plan was the plan that he just won all the games now so it's all fine again and the George Conway wife uh, wife husband of uh, Kellyanne Conway the um the PR person in chief for Donald Trump you'll remember her from you know, yes. the various ludicrous interviews once described Donald Trump's administration as a, a a shit show in a dumpster fire that is United's planning I mean there yeah. is none none if it was hey we want this two weeks to you know get the new guy in get them doing a bit of training you know easy ramping which Aston Villa have done and Norwich did and we can identify who we want and we're going to go make it happen because that's it's crucially important the most important position in the club quote unquote Sir Alex Ferguson then that's what you do at the end that first came back madness absolute madness and now we're going to get an interim or sorry we've got the interim interim Michael Carrick will get an interim some people say it might be Darren Fletcher or see then we'll get a manager and that'll be four managers in six months. Yeah. And the thing is, what I want to know is what has happened in the last four or five weeks, because this isn't, this is a new level. So after the game, Ollie goes over to the away fans who are giving him some stick. I, I don't know how vitriolic and personal that stick was, but there's been a lot of frustration with him and you know, etc. Um, so they're giving him some stick. And Bruno is like pointing at the players going, no, it's us, it's not him, it's us, it's us. Right. And and Shearer had a go at him on Match of the Day, saying that's embarrassing, show your support for the manager by your running on the pitch in the game. And it's like, well, I don't think, I, I as always, I think the accusations that this group have not been trying hard enough are palpably ridiculous but Bruno Fernandes had an absolutely terrible game starting with skying the ball upwards and backwards for the first goal right um no the penalty for the the penalty yes. was an interesting moment in terms of Solskjaer and having lost the dressing room or otherwise if we assume that Bruno Fernandes is a leading figure in this dressing room but Ronaldo came and now everything is complicated by Ronaldo's presence like uh, not not just well, well, don't you think it's interesting that I assume someone at the club, or maybe it's Ronaldo's people, felt the need to brief to more than one journalist that Ronaldo had nothing to do with, you know, dressing room <laughs> stuff about Solskjaer, and he had no say in the new manager or their, or Solskjaer being sacked, and it was not him on his scuff. Yeah, at the same time, 
you know when it's all going wrong when stories are coming out of the dressing room. So who are the characters in there that might be telling stories? The unhappy ones, Sancho, Van der Beek, I don't think, I just don't think, they don't have the agents that are like that. Um, and I just don't see the, them as being the characters. The big name personalities, Bruno, Pogba, Ronaldo, do you, do you think they would have been briefing? Is it all Raiola? George Mendes? Would they really be destroying the manager? You know, uh, maybe, maybe, but someone's been for sure because there are too many inside yeah. stories coming out. Yeah, which the more we hear about, the more they they ring a certain amount of truth. I mean, Solskjaer's very publicly backed Carrick and was brought to tears by, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was slightly complicated what brought him to tears, but he assi assigned it to you know, a sense of pride and, and hope for Michael Carrick to do a good job. I, I don't think that's the whole story, but he, he, he clearly wants to, to say positive things about him. And I think he meant it, but we also hear lots of stuff about divisions within the coaching staff and differences of opinion about how it's going to go. Um, it has, whatever has happened, it has gone really badly wrong. He, he's gone, he went away, back away from the back five for this game. So the back five lasted was was Not two very and a half long. games. No, two yep. and a half games. It, it was it was used. I wonder if we'll see uh, three at the back if if Carrick um, is in charge, and if it is true that that's the system that him and McKenna have wanted uh, imposed or brought in. That'll be interesting to see. Unlike when Mourinho left, I'm not sure we're going to see like this massive, really obvious, huge uplift in positivity and hope. Because it doesn't seem like, I mean, De Gea's, maybe all the leagues have come from De Gea, by the way, because he seems to hate everyone he plays with and having to play for us and how bad it is all the time. Yes, I mean, that, that, that interview, David De Gea's interview seemed like a man of, of real frustration. He, he, by the way, I mean, I don't know whether he could have done better, better with the one at the near post. I mean, it was close range, <laughs> very close to him. Um uh, I, uh, an aside, but uh, I think uh, Smarter Scout put out some stats on Dave, and he is he is minus on his XG. So the average keeper would have saved more goals than David De Gea this season, even though it feels like he's had a good season. Yeah, gosh, that's really in. interesting. Yeah. Um, anyway, yes, oh, yeah, lots, of, lots of frustration and lots of words for Ollie afterwards. Um, Dave was frustrated, but I think afterwards Bruno's come out, and so a few others have posted sort of words of support for the manager and he that kind of i don't know says something when the a player wants to come out and put themselves out there and say something about the manager I, I i know some people have not so yeah the only person that did when Mourinho was that was um mctominay <laughs> um that might not be true but print the legend um the uh it was one one tweet i saw um which was along the lines of uh, XG really got it right about Solskjaer's reign three months in. And I kind of really want to say about that, that no, it didn't. No, no, it didn't. I mean, everyone that listens to this knows I love some nerd nonsense. I, I love the, I love the advanced metrics. I'm fascinated by them. I think they've got something really useful to add. And this is a really good example of misuse of them in the first few months. Um, United slightly outperformed their XG um, or, or significantly outperformed their XG in that little good run. But when the run went wrong, um, they didn't revert to the mean. They created a lot less than they had been creating when they'd been winning. So the XG, we, the, the XG people should be proud of their lovely metric because it went down and so did the number of United goals. Like it wasn't, they didn't revert to the mean. And the other thing is like, um, Solskjaer's reign was, in the end, about a cultural reset. That was the the thing that it most needed to do. And it has, uh, we'll see if that lasts, but there's definitely the possibility, as it, you know, as he said, he's walked out the front door, right? This is, I mean, uh, it's not like he resigned of his own free will. I'm sure there was like, let's, let's, De let's definitely do this not given his post match interview, yes. <laughs> no, exactly. 
It, but it, but it, it was done respectfully for a reason. He earned that not just from history, but he earned that from the way he conducted himself as manager, in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. So, so Paul Hurst in the uh, the Times notes. Privately, officials have reminded everyone that Solskjaer had the third best win ratio of any post-war United manager and that he'd given debuts to 16 academy graduates. Uh, great. So, I, I mean, I, I found that a little odd. You know, among the stats, fight, great. Be your Jeff Sackler guy. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. But we're going to spend it. all great, folks. Nothing to see here. <laughs> yeah. I'm Ed Woodward. I only make good decisions. <laughs> um, I love the debut to academy players stat because, like, Lou Van Hall gave every player in the academy a first-team start just in case they went on to have a career so he could claim it. <laughs> That's right. And then they lost 3-0 at Melton Keynes. And, uh, four. He, he, four. Four. Four, and he sacked them all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Donald Love. Remember when he gave Donald Love his debut? And, yes. of course, the great Cameron Borthwick-Jackson. Oh, still, still the most chilled-out man in football. <laughs> yep. Seeing there playing Tetris while there's a riot going on. So, Ale, we hardly knew you. Um, there, there was some less pleasant aspects of it. Uh, but I think apart from the people who wouldn't care for his legacy, anyone, there's, I don't think there's anyone who cared for his legacy as a player who would feel that that legacy was compromised by his actions no. in terms of the on-the-pitch stuff at United. No, no, no. And and I think Adam Crafton, athletic journalist, was saying uh, suggestions that Solskjaer's legacy with fans could be affected by two awful months. Uh, he gave the vast majority of the best moment of their sporting life and scored 125 other goals. And, you know, that that is it. That's right. He, he will be, and I know it's an overused word, always a club legend. He has been a helpful shield for Ed Woodward, but that's not his fault. He he wanted to come in and do the best possible job he could. And he's done some very good things. And and the and is it a bit like being a wrestling fan, right? Being a wrestling fan, well, it's a bit. I mean, I haven't watched much wrestling recently, but in general, it's got a bit more fun to be a wrestling fan because there's a second company that are doing all this fantastic stuff, and everyone loves them. But if you're like a, a mainstream wrestling fan, most of what happens is frustrating and bad, and every now and again, there's an absolutely amazing moment. And it's a little bit like that, the Solskjaer regime. Like, I haven't watched a... any wrestling since, you know, Big Daddy in the 1980s. <laughs> yeah, I know. And that's a very different um, kind of wrestling, I think. Absolutely. But anyone that watches WWE re regularly is nodding their head like crazy right now that, like, most of it is frustrating and bad and there's just terrible decisions being made all the time. And occasionally an absolutely amazing moment is engineered. And... um that's sort of what it's been like at Solskjaer's United. I was I was trying to work out how many times have we played really, really well in a way where you go, something is happening here, this is sustainable and not that many. How many times have we had absolute bedlam and brilliant times and goals to go wild about and comebacks and like phenomenal players like playing there with their whole hearts um, for the shirt? That is a lot it's a lot there are a lot of moments and it wasn't like that under any of the managers since Fergie other than Solskjaer so yeah yeah true um but his ultimate failing was on the pitch getting the results you asked what had happened the last four or five weeks well he he, he good vibes were unable to sustain they weren't strong enough to sustain that dressing room and that team um when the coaching failed and I thought it was really interesting watching Spurs Leeds game today which we'll talk about more depth in the back is content, but you know, Conte back three already trying the high press already. I mean, it doesn't take that long, right? The fundamentals. Yeah. yeah. The details will come later, but yeah. Solskjaer had the time and uh, he was unable to do it and uh, he's paid the price. And the cultural reset thing we'll see because uh, McKenna, Carrick, Phelan and the rest are still there. Now, how many will be retained? I mean, they'll still be there till the end of the season, I'm sure. Uh, how many will be retained when Pochettino or Rogers or whomever take the job? We'll, we'll see. And it'll be interesting to see whether the, the club pushes to retain um, as many of those as possible as part of this, you know, this, this reset or whether they're going to go all in with uh, Pochettino and, and his, as an example, and his crew of, of staff, which is what normally happens. And then you start all over again. But you don't start all over again. 
because there's an institutional memory among the players, there's a, a sense of what Man United really means. I'm just going to talk in complete fan talk, right? Like what it really means to play for United, that was gone and that's been reestablished, yeah. I think, in some yeah. way. And, no, I and, agree. I fully agree as a fan and as a pundit on the internet. Yeah. But we should talk about what happens next. I mean, <laughs> what are they going to do? Right. If they bring in Darren Fletcher and United end up finishing third this season ahead of Winning Chelsea. 15 games in a row. <laughs> yeah. Not late, but we've got so, there's so long left of this. It's November. Like when Solskjaer came in, it was basically January, right? It was December, middle, midway through December. Yeah. There's another month on top. That's a long time. That's a ninth of a football season on top of what Solskjaer. Like, honestly, they are really in trouble if it goes well. <laughs> I mean, yes, because they just repeat all the same mistakes, basically. Yeah. And then look, who knows? Maybe Darren Fletcher is a tactical genius. I don't know, but he's, he, he has been coaching for you know, a year, 18 months, um, and never held a senior position. Michael Carrick, he's a first team coach. He's not even the assistant manager. Kieran McKenna, well thought of, but again, a youth coach before. He, he became first team coach and Carrick will have the respect of many of the players because he had a great career. He was, in fact, the last proper defensive midfielder United signed. I, I think that's actually true, folks. Uh, yeah, well, except, except for the bit where you said Michael Carrick's a proper defensive midfielder. Well, yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> the good times. Remember when Michael Carrick split everyone and uh, yeah. they were like, he's no Roy Keane. Yeah. Uh, great player, by the way, Michael Carrick. But <laughs> anyway, so... He will have the respect. He'll he'll have some sense of authority in the dressing room. But he's only a couple of years older than Ronaldo. He'll Ronaldo be thirty seven in in the new year. I mean, the Ronaldo factor is a huge problem in the interim manager stakes because, like, it's just a it's just a huge issue. What do you do in well, that it, situation, like? Well, you know what Michael Carrick ought to do is pull a Louis Van Gaal, drop his pants, show his balls, and drop <laughs> Ronaldo to the bench. Um, the, uh, so is the theory at the moment uh, we're recording this on Sunday night. So, but I guess there's a chance that people have got a much better idea of what's happening by the time this is, this is aired. But right now it seems to be that we think that Michael Carrick's going to have the job and then they're going to bring in an interim manager who's might be Darren Fletcher. If it might be, I mean, Darren Fletcher is right there. I don't know why you <laughs> I know, need, I know. <laughs> why interim... did you need the second step? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, um, I don't know. And maybe they're, maybe they're scouring European football for someone who's available. I mean, it, what it says to me is that they've tried and failed with Zidane. Uh, he doesn't want to come to England because uh, in a year's time, Deschamps will step down from the France job and, mm. um, and maybe Zidane wants to take over there. Or maybe he's interested in the PSG job, which will almost certainly be available in the summer when Pochettino leaves. You know, even if he wins, he's there 13 points ahead in, in League 1. So they're going to win, win League 1 and let's see how they do in Europe. But he just doesn't want to be there. They who know say. Maybe there's a merry-go-round to be had. Maybe Zidane takes over at PSG and, and they could get uh, Poch in right now. Or maybe they're just looking for someone who is available, who is a sort of experienced coach that would do a job for six months. I'm looking at you, Big Sam. Right at you. Well, they, they in... in... Unedifying sporting figures plying their trade at Manchester United news. The Laurent Blanc rumours are oh God, um, please are no. happening again. Um, please know as a coach and please know as a human. I will never have been happier to not be talking about it if he wasn't there. Um, five hours ago, the, the Express headline, I'm not clicking on that for obvious reasons, said uh, Laurent Blanc leading race to be Man United interim boss with good relationship key. The independent saying he's emerged as a strong candidate. This happened um, when Solskjaer was appointed. There was a lot of talk that Laurent Blanc was the uh, the front runner um, for that. Uh, so, yeah, that would be really upsetting for lots of reasons. I can't go into it. No, and I we've talked about it. it. We've talked about it on this pod. And when you depart and uh, new faces, don't have faces on a podcast, but new faces appear on this podcast, we'll no doubt talk about Laurent Blanc's troublesome history which is well and literally recorded for all to hear. <laughs> um, yeah, somebody said to me today that our succession planning is a lot better than United's. 
Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, there's a plan of sorts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I would suggest that I'm easier to replace than Alex Ferguson. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, big, big shoes to fill in both cases. Yeah. Um, yeah. Someone, and I can't remember who did uh, put on Twitter. Will someone please put all the potential United managers into the characters in succession? Um, <laughs> who, I mean, is the greatest... Yeah, sitcom on TV, that is, because um, it's literally a comedy, because they're all ridiculous characters, as are some of the names being bandied around. So, do we have any thoughts on who might be the next permanent? We we mentioned Pochettino, we mentioned Zidane, Ken uh, Hag, you mentioned as well, all leading candidates. I mean, the the big talk was Rogers, right? This is this is a reasonably well sourced rumor. I mean, there's some there was some Twitter detection that went on that suggested the rumour had come from one particular place which would not be described as well sourced but I would say that in fact that rumour was much better sourced than that Twitter detection uh, yes. led people to believe um, interesting one one with Rogers just at the point the Leicester are spiralling exactly like exactly exactly um it's it was it's so funny how bad Leicester are right now there's no way Rogers can get the United job right now even though there's no way he wouldn't just say yeah yeah please God, get me out of here this is a mess I can't well, you can imagine the neg- negotiation it goes something like this Ed Woodward hey Leicester boss owner whose name I forget uh we'd we'd like Brendan Rogers, Leicester owner. We would like eighty million pounds. Edward Wood. No, no, no. We can't do that. It's five million. Leicester. No, we'd like eighty million. Oh, all right then. Yeah. Meanwhile, Leicester had been planning to sack the guy, and before already got his replacement lined up. Yeah, it feels uh, feels not uh, not too wide of the truth. Then again, um, and I know his Liverpool connections are there, and I know he's he doesn't have a lot of sort of silverware. Although in at Celtic he did, and then won the FA Cup with Leicester last season, so he's got more silverware than uh, who Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. And his team plays good football, if even if they burn out every single season, it seems. But he is an ex Liverpool manager, so it comes with that caveat. Yeah, it's it's. I but mean, the one thing is that, that forgivable. Would... It's forgivable, I think. Yeah, sure. The the one thing you would say is that he has had experience at managing under a similar level of spotlight to Man United because both Liverpool and Celtic, I mean, Liverpool have a global following. Yes. Um, and, and he was there when they nearly did it, which is, you know, which was yes. a huge under thing. Under the previous regime as well. Yeah. Who were trying to bankrupt the club. Yeah. Um, I mean, so near, the, so near. Just, oh, you, just need, you just needed to hang on for a few more months, lads, and they'd have gone under. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, a friend of mine who supports Man City just, just put on Instagram stories yesterday. Watford, you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> yes, um, City, City knew the, the, the prescription. They were 2-0 up and they were like, okay, 2-0 up is embarrassing enough. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but the, the, the thing about Rodgers is, yeah, so and Celtic, Liverpool have that international spotlight and Celtic have, I mean, it is that particularly intense spotlight at, at Celtic and Rangers. You know, it, those jobs are kind of um, interest-wise and pressure-wise comparable to the yes. big jobs in England, I would say. Um, and so so he's got that going for him. The, the, the downsides are the Liverpool connection and the fact that his Leicester team have slightly fluttered to deceive because they've been close there really like really good impressive periods and then always the kind of like dip of one kind of one one key cog gets injured and everything kind of starts to unravel slightly and and i don't know how much of that is rogers and how much of that is a thin squad absolutely yeah um so Uh, that's rogers pochettino united seem to have danced around him for years and always said no they 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 overlooked him twice I would give Pochettino the job if there was any chance of doing it, but I would have done last time too. I mean, until Solskjaer had a chance to get the job and then I would have given it to him because I'm an, I, I am a sucker. <laughs> so... well, Pochettino, of course, he's, he's kind of anachronistic in modern managers in that he actually prefers to not work with the sporting director. So, hey, you, that... you've got the system right there. You've got Joel <laughs> Glazer. <laughs> um, the, the thing about Pochettino is that I can't remember who said this. Somebody said this to me. He got Tottenham Hotspur to a Champions League final like 
it's so taken for granted what he did at Tottenham because they didn't win the league, because um, in that season when Leicester won the league and because they fell at the final hurdle in the Champions League. Tottenham Hotspur, a club that is a joke, right? That is a, a byword for failure and mediocrity and, you know, and for our whole lives since the early 1980s, right? And he got them to a Champions League final. Yeah, by word for mediocrity. Right in at United. (laughs) Um, And he did something, he created something in that Tottenham squad um, that was far, far greater than the sum of its parts. It had a couple of key, absolutely brilliant pieces, which I think we need in that kind of situation. But that, that squad was was way above and beyond the sum of its parts and and yeah I'd be I'd be happy if Pochettino got the job. Yeah. Um and I think he would build something something very functional. And and look it went wrong for him at Tottenham. Um but they were interested in getting him back this summer so it didn't go that wrong I think. Um it it has gone wrong for many managers at many clubs. And mm. where there were, una- yeah, it's very, very few have not had a position where there were at some point because of their intensity, because results went wrong, because whatever, they were unable to turn it around of all the leading candidates. I mean, Zidane created it for himself, um, not enjoying the pressure at Real Madrid. Conte has burned everyone out. M- Mourinho has become a meme. Perhaps only Guardiola has not, you know, he walked he- away. F- he walked away twice. From Barcelona for Bayern, but it was planned, um, and the succession was sort of planned at both of those clubs as well, um, and Ferguson. Yeah, but almost no other manager has not ended in failure at some point. Absolutely, um, Ten Hag. Uh, to me, like you said, Ten Hag has worked under an absolutely brilliant system, where everything is geared to play the kind of football he wants to play. The job is really clear. The signings are really clear. The plans are really clear. And I have absolutely no idea whether he'd be any good as United manager or not. No idea whatsoever. No idea. And um, he, he's created a spectacular IXI. They, they look great. They play great football. They score one average of just under four goals a game or something insane like that. <laughs> They're doing well in European football as well as the Eredivisie. Um, but he works uh, under what many people regard to be one of the elite football directors in Marco Fomas, who who does a lot of the signing. He is a pure coach, um, and it would be different at United. And under Edwin van der Sar, who, again, everyone, you know, I don't know, I'm not sat on the board, but um, believes to be an extremely competent CEO. I mean, maybe we get the three of them as a, as a package <laughs> deal. That'd be beautiful. And then I think then we're into outsider candidates. I mean, Woodward wants Zidane in least the least surprising news of all time. I, I, I mean, Good listen, for I, I love Zinedine Zidane so much. I think I don't. I might have said completely opposite of this of this at various times, but as we sit here today, that seems to me to be an. I mean, that would be a. A wild, wild move at this stage to bring in someone who, you know, not that he was all tactics, all vibes, no tactics around Madrid, because he wasn't. But I don't know why you wouldn't bring in right now. You want to bring in a precisionist, right? That's, that's what this club needs. This club needs someone who's going to build on the, like, he's not a Van Hal, a kind of disciplinarian precisionist, no, but, but someone who will make He is a person. He's, a, he's got the feel. That's what everyone says about him at Real Madrid. He, he knows players intimately. And he's able to do, he does the quiet thing. He's, uh, what did someone call him? The, the, the whispering manager or something like that. The something Galactico almost. whisperer. <laughs> yeah, oh. that's right. Yes. So it, it feels an uneasy fear. And I suspect he knows that. And he also doesn't speak English, which is, right. which is honestly, it's hard. It's got to yeah, be hard. Yeah. How do you get your message across? Translated through Ronaldo. <laughs> Zidane says, give me the ball. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, to be fair, that probably would be his tactic as well. Um, yes. so, yeah, Which, that's, look, that's... worked solidly for him. It won him three Champions Leagues in a row. <laughs> yeah. Just give it, Ronnie. <laughs> yeah. Uh, who would be United's Gareth Bale in this situation? Um, so, and now we're talking outsiders. I mean, I, I'm a 
slightly obsessed with Graham Potter getting the United job, which I, I know isn't going to happen. But I do wish the the work to identify who the closest equivalents to Guardiola or Klopp in 2011 are now in the world of football. I do wish that someone at United was doing that job. It, maybe that's Ten Hag. But you who's know, going to do that job? Who's exactly. going to do that job at United? Exactly. There's no one. This is the problem. Murtar should be doing that job. That's what a director of football does. But I don't believe he's got the the parameters to do it. I don't think that's within his job scope. I think he is trying to tie different departments at United together. I mean, again, look, this is just a take of some dude on the internet. I'm not claiming insider knowledge, but I think he would be front and center of this if he really was a director of football. And he's clearly not. So, yeah. Who's going to make that decision? Joel Glazer in Tampa. What's, what's he going to know? You know, and by the way, I, I, I don't know if I know the answer to that either. I probably, you'd probably say Ten Hag or Nagelsmann and they're tied up for different reasons. Yeah. Or Ten Hag less so, I guess. Yeah. I mean, or you Marcus know, um, Rose or Jesse Marsh or like yeah. look to the Bundesliga. I think there are a lot of young coaches or Potter. Yeah. Or Sam Aladici <laughs> or Sean Dyche. Ken Early said to Gary Neville on second captains that Jose Mourinho is the kind of manager you would appoint at United if you didn't know anything about football. And he yeah. meant that it's, and, and Gary Neville was horrified by this, like horrified, like Jose Mourinho, one of the best managers ever. It's like, uh, this is an occasion when the journalist was absolutely right and the ex-footballer yes. was absolutely wrong. Yes, that, Neville was um, not able to see between the lines of what Ken Early meant. Yeah. No, and and it, that Mourinho appointment was a very sensible appointment if you didn't know anything about football. I mean, I, I, I give you, I present as evidence the fact that I thought it was worth a go. Like, you know, um, this is, um, right now, they need someone who knows about football to make the next decision. And uh, I, I can't see it. So no, I think... No, no. I, I mean, I think he could go catastrophically wrong. The, the odds, and don't bet, folks, it's very bad for your health. The odds are five to one Brendan Rodgers and Michael Carrick, six to one Zidane, seven to one Poch, eight to one Ten Hag, ten to one Ralph Ragnick, who wants to be director of football. I don't know why Is his name keeps popping up. Um, yeah, Michael Carrick so. is five. To, is like joint favourite. Well, he's the man in possession. Jesus, I guess he didn't get the ball away much. Sixteen to one eh? Lauren Blanc. Possession. Yeah, possession. Michael Carrick. Sixteen to one Lauren Blanc. Uh, 20 to 1 Luis Enrique, it would be intriguing because he did build a good Barcelona side. So let's, uh, let's wait and see what happens. And the listeners can hear all about what you think about it. <laughs> and I won't have to have an opinion. Well, we'll see. <laughs> we'll see after uh, United beat Villarreal because we've got a game coming up, folks. 5-0 uh, on Wednesday and then uh, Chelsea at the bridge. Is Chelsea next weekend, I think? Oh. Oh my God. Slam them 5 nil as well. Michael Karaki's getting an eight-year contract. Well, this is, this is why they've not given... The, this is why they're having an interim interim, uh, right? That you've got the Chelsea game to get through and then get through Villarreal, Chelsea, maybe Arsenal, and then apply an interim manager, then get the next three tricky fixtures out of the way, then get a, a second interim caretaker manager. I guess we're not going to spend much time previewing Villarreal. God knows what's going to happen. But it's Villarreal on Tuesday, Sunday at Chelsea, Thursday, uh, Thursday night. That's a, that's a bit wrong, isn't it? Um, Are Arsenal you looking at American Old... times? No, no. Arsenal come to Arsenal come to Old Trafford on Thursday. Uh, and then the Sunday, Crystal Palace, Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace, uh, a bit of a barnstormer of a game yesterday. And then we got the easy one against Young Boys. I mean, United could end up in the Europa if it goes all wrong against Young Boys at Old Trafford. It is possible. It is possible. Um, yeah. Uh, are we really not going to have a permanent manager until the end of the season? It seems like it because, because I mean, you'd have to extract or wait for Leicester to sack Brendan Rodgers. Um, you know, it's, it's very interesting because when Mourinho was sacked, I was firmly with the opinion that no manager would be better than Mourinho. I'm not sure no manager is better than... And 
to be clear, I'm not saying there would not be another manager who was better than Mourinho. I meant literally not having a manager would be better than having Mourinho. Right. Hey. Uh, yes. Uh, I'm glad you a... pointed out that clarification because yeah, yeah, it yeah. kind of undercut your you know, several years yeah. of anti-Mourinho <laughs> propaganda. Yeah, exactly. Here, I'm not entirely convinced that going through the rest of the season with no manager is a better alternative than Solskjaer would have been. I mean, it almost feels like throwing the season away, doesn't it? I mean, they've got to be, yeah. they've got to be worried. They're being counters. Uh, that is the Glazers who are counting on their dividend uh, because there's, there's quite some cost to not being in the Champions League. Tens of millions and they've just come off two uh, seasons. I mean, we didn't even talk about the financial results. I was going to say, they, were, they you... were quite bad, folks. <laughs> remember so... when you put... Remember when you put in the group 48 hours ago, we've got so much to talk about on the podcast. Didn't talk about any of it. Yeah. Yeah, didn't talk about the internationals and Harry Maguire's weird finger in ears, fingers cup to ears celebrations. What was that all about? Or Paul Pogba's injury and potential departure, which is being rumoured. We didn't talk about England scoring how many? 10. 18 without reply or whatever it was um, in two fixtures and Harry Harry Maguire, not Harry Maguire, Harry Maguire. Kane juicing his international scoring stats somewhat. Um, and what else didn't we talk about? The financial results, the share scheme. Uh, financial results were fairly boring. United made a loss, no surprise. The share scheme, uh, about $10 million worth of shares are being released. Class B shares, which are the ones that have 10 times the voting rights, same as the Glazers. Unclear yet whether that will be the only tranche ever. If it is, it's less than half of 1% of the total stock of the club. Um, but, and it's not unclear how they'll make them available to fans and only fans and not anyone else, you know, you can see a bunch of Japester Liverpool fans buying up some shares and joining the AGM Unclear if there'll be more of them, um, or how United can, uh, fans could exercise those rights, you know, votes and, and so on, so on, so on, so on. They must have been negotiating this and they come from a good place. They put out a very, very weird statement, which was like amazingly defensive instead of hey, we've won this negotiation, we've got this is happening and we're trying to get more. It was like, some people will say this and some people will say that. And some people, they tried to knock down every potential argument in their press release. Weird, weird, defensive, unnecessary. Like, a, like an episode of this podcast, you might say. Basically. We both do that literally every week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, that's because we're riffing without having thought about it much you know yeah, right yeah true, not yeah. writing it on paper yeah. anyway so lots of stuff we didn't talk about rather superseded by events i think yeah absolutely i've decided to suspend the bit of my brain that wants to go in a different direction and just indulge in pure sentimentality about solshire as well as 99 he was i mean if you are, genuinely, if you are too young to have experienced Solskjaer as a United player, he was a player whose connection with the Old Trafford crowd always felt entirely authentic. He was, um, he, you know, like you said, he sounded like a fan in his post-match, in his post, in his exit interview. He did also play like a fan, which is much more of a compliment, um, like a fan who was really good at football. Unlike a yeah. fan who was not that brilliant at football managing, ultimately. But, and as I said earlier, that there were, um, there were so many spectacular moments. A couple of people have messaged me to say, saying, we'll always, today saying, we'll all, we'll always have Paris. And of course, that, that is, that is kind of how I feel about Solskjaer. It's not just Paris. It's also as a player, Barcelona or the goal against Liverpool in the, FA Cup fourth round in 99 or the four goals against Nottingham Forest or that time he tackled Rob Lee or, you know, all the Solskjaer stuff that pop into your head when you think about Solskjaer at United, him coming back from injury and bowing to the crowd after the Charlton goal and all that stuff. But, you know, that first game in charge when uh, he won 5-1, I mean, for me, like the only away end I've ever had proper tickets to in the away end was in the middle of peak Ole's at the wheel time when we beat Fulham and the atmosphere and the, the, the love uh, in that crowd was absolutely incredible. Um, it, it was the right decision to obviously like he couldn't, it was completely untenable his position. If you, yeah. if you really hate Ole Gunnar Solskjaer as, I mean, for various other reasons, that's a whole different story. If you really hate him as a figure at United, there, there has to be something you're not, you know, you are definitely missing something about the club's law 
there, I would say. Um, L-O-R-E. I'm not being prescriptive and saying this is the law. You have to, <laughs> you have to like Oligon But yeah, anyway. All right. Well, I guess that's it, folks, for uh, us this week and for Ollie permanently. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see where he winds up next if, he's, if that's his story in football management. I mean, that, that was the thing. The knockers always said, hey, what other job would he get? Well, we'll find yeah. out soon enough. We should do, just because Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has been sacked, no reason not to do the thing we've done at least sort of 519 out of 521 times and predict the scores wildly uh, about two games with absolutely no idea about who's even going to be the manager by the second one of those. So. Right, so as you're speaking, I'm putting scores in a hat and jumbling <laughs> them up randomly and I'm going to pick a couple out. So I'm going to say United going to lose at Villarreal. Yep. 1-0, because yep. Villarreal don't score many goals, thankfully for us. Neither do Watford, normally. Um, and then <laughs> Chelsea, I, I'm afraid we're going to get battered. I mean, it's very hard to turn it around. So this sort yep. of rain. So I'm going to say 3-0 to Chelsea. I, I, I 1-0 and 3-0 sounds exactly like what I was going to say. So I shall take the option of going with you there. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Patient backers, stay tuned. I don't think everyone's getting free patreon stuff this week no um but you know so um no pay us your money (laughs) yeah anyway i'm not going to talk about that now we'll see you next week take it easy everyone bye now